Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Craig Dyson. My wife, Kara, and I are the pastors of Convo Church, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and builds your faith. Enjoy the message. Uh, we started something uh, for this month because we are, Convo Church is a new tradition. Uh, this time last year, nobody was here because we didn't exist yet. Uh, we were actually, by this time last year, our, our family had just barely moved to the area, and we had, we had not even had our first interest party to like gather people and tell people that we're doing this crazy thing in Reno called Convo Church. Uh, so this is a new tradition, and so the, I think the best traditions aren't necessarily just the ones that happen year after year that get passed down. I think the best ones are when you actually get to be a part of making a new one that will continue on. It's kind of fun to be a part of making something new. And so we're doing this series right now called The New Tradition. And not just because Convo's a new tradition, but the reality is, is that at some point in time, Christmas, not just Christmas as we know it in America, but in the context of celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ, what is at some point a new tradition? Prior to Jesus coming on the scene, there were different ways of doing things. There were different ways of, of, of trying to figure out a relationship with God. But when Jesus came on the scene, it created an entire new tradition of love and of grace and of forgiveness and of salvation. Things that weren't as easily accessible to all humanity as they are now. And it was a new tradition. And so I want to read a scripture to you uh, from the Old Testament. This is from the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah uh, wrote in uh, chapter, you don't have to turn there, but you can if you want to, chapter 43, verses 18 and 19. And this, Isaiah was prophesying, which prophecy means to, uh, to predict or to foretell something that is going to come. He was prophesying about the Messiah, Jesus, coming to earth. And he goes, remember not the former things, nor consider things of old. Behold, which is, when you hear that word behold, you just like pay attention, take notice, something's happening. Behold, I am doing a new thing, now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Isaiah was prophesying about what would happen when Jesus showed up the scene. Jesus was gonna do a new thing. In the areas of our lives where it's maybe dry in a wilderness, God was gonna bring life to those things and it is a new thing. So again, this time of year, traditions, uh, I don't know how many, who in here is pro-fruitcake? Any, anybody? I don't know why you would be. I don't know why. I, I mentioned that to my wife the other day, like it was, I was listening to uh, whatever station is that's playing Christmas music right now and somebody was like so excited about fruitcake and I'm like, why, why? Who, I wanna know who started that tradition? The tradition of it's Christmas, therefore let's make this concoction and, and create doorstops for everybody. Uh, I'm, I'm not pro fruitcake. It doesn't show up in my house unless it's gifted and I receive it with grace and then I don't know where it goes after that, but it doesn't, doesn't get in. So if you were planning on giving me a fruitcake, that's, that's fine. I'm just probably not gonna, gonna eat it at all. Um, who's, who's fake Christmas tree? Anybody? It's okay, this is a safe place. All right, we got, we got eh, okay. Real Christmas tree. Okay, it's about 60% real. All right, now, now I'm, not, I'm not trying to seclude the fake Christmas tree people because I understand your strategy and I appreciate it because it's a better investment. I get it. Now, fake, I mean, the real Christmas tree people, go cut it down or go to, go to Mount Lowe's and go buy yourself a, a nice. All right, who's cut it down? You got to cut it down. Okay, that's most of the real Christmas tree people. And uh, any, 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 you know, Mount Lowe's or Home Depot or whatever it may be, that's me. That's us right there. 
because they get the pretty ones and then I don't have to cut it down. I don't have to worry about getting snu- uh, stuck in the snow. You just pick it out and get your kids to drag it to your car. It's a great situation. All right, all right, so that's, that's another good tradition. Uh, how many of you, as far as when it comes to presents, you are a Christmas Eve present person? Anybody? Just one, yeah, I've certain now, now we, there's some discrepancy here in New Year's Eve, all right, Christmas Eve people. How many of you are just, it's, it's all go on Christmas Eve, just, it's all, it's a free for all, you go for it, that's when you start. All right, one person, that's okay, it's a safe place, we're not gonna judge you. That's honesty, I love it. Is that George? Yes, George's like, Christmas Eve is good enough, let's go. One, so, and the rest of you are like, okay, one on Christmas Eve, right? Okay, for the one on Christmas Eve, how many of those are Christmas jammies? Most of y'all, that was surprising, okay. I, I just threw that one in there, but that was shocking, okay. All right, so as I was saying, I, I think some of the best traditions that we get to be a part of are the traditions where we actually get to be a part of making a new one. And I'll, I will say this, the tradition is as good as the people that you get to share it with. And, and that's one of the things I love about this season when it comes to really looking back and reflecting on who Jesus is, not just who he was, but who Jesus is and what he came to do and the fact that he didn't, he didn't do this out in some third dimension spiritual realm in heaven that we don't get to witness. He, he came and brought that tradition to us to give us the opportunity to be a part of this new tradition with him. Now, uh, there, are, there are two uh, books of the Bible that really capture the, the accounts of Christmas. There's uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1 and 2. And then the other gospel uh, that captures this is the book of Luke also chapter one and two. And it's funny, if you look at each one of these chapters, each one captures one of kind of the, I'll call them the big players in the Christmas story. You know, you got Mary, you got Joseph, uh, you got the wise men, can't leave out the wise men. Uh, you got the shepherds, and those are, they're, they're other players, but those are kind of the big four when it comes to like, you know, the Christmas songs and the nativity. I don't know where the drummer boy came in that. I get maybe he was one of the shepherds uh, in apprenticeship or something. But it was, there's four main characters. So I really want to focus in today. I figure a great place to start is with the, the person that actually ended up giving birth to the Messiah. Uh, we'll give it up for Mary today. We're going to start with Mary. Is that okay? Mary's a good one. All right, if you're taking notes, I encourage you to take notes. I say this every single week. This is why Pastor Craig wants you to take notes during the preaching portion. Number one, because we go into the Bible. And so we believe that the Bible has something to say that every single one of us need in our lives. And I also believe that even though there's probably some of you smart enough to remember every single word that we talk about today and that, and that you're gonna apply it Monday through Saturday, it's gonna become a part of your lifestyle. For the rest of us, we may not be at that caliber of intellect. So I wanna encourage all of us, whether it's you got a journal, whether it's on the notes app on your phone, take notes, we'll have stuff on the screen, but there may be something that, that I say or even sometimes I don't say it, but you hear something that you're like, man, that impacted me. Write that down. So even if you walk away with one line written down, hopefully, that's something that will impact you Monday through Saturday, not just hearing some dude talk on Sunday, okay? Is that okay? All right, so we're gonna talk about Mary. This is actually part two of what I started last week. Last week, we talked about the power of the invitation. So today's kind of part two of power of the invitation, but I got kind of a subtitle for it, and and this is it. Who, me? I had to say it that way, because if you just say who, me, it doesn't. Who, me? You ever been in a situation where somebody chose you or picked you? And your response, either out verbally or maybe just in your head was, who, me? Are you, you sure? You're, that guy back there? No, there's nobody. Me, okay. Who, me? So make sure you write that down because 
I think that's gonna be something that's important for every one of us today. Um, listen, invitation precedes qualification. Invitation precedes qualification. Let me break that down a little bit more. God invites you into his relationship. He invites you into his love, his forgiveness, his salvation, his miracles, his redemption, his plan before you were qualified. Invitation precedes qualification. And the cool thing is, is that we have a choice to respond to the invitation of God in our life. We have a choice. Christmas celebrates God becoming flesh when Jesus was born. A new tradition of love and grace was introduced into the world. And Jesus coming to the earth began a new tradition of all people being invited and welcomed into God's family for those who were putting their faith in Jesus Christ. I love that. It began began a, a tradition of all people. Now, if you break down that word all, and if you go into the, the original language that the Bible was originally written in, in this particular context, and you look up the definition of the word all, you're gonna find a surprise. It means all. That took way too long to say, but I wanted to be dramatic about it. All means all. All means you. All means me. All means the person that cut you off in traffic. All means your family, even your crazy uncle. All means the person that you're not too fond of and you're okay if you never speak to him again. All means all. Christmas began a new tradition of all people being welcomed into the family of God of those who put their faith in Jesus. A new tradition of salvation for all. A new tradition of grace being poured out on all. A new tradition of access to God's presence for all. A new tradition of faith and supernatural power through the Holy Spirit for who? Okay, good, y'all are paying attention. We're making progress. So listen, that that first verse that I read from Isaiah, that prophecy happened over 700 years before Jesus would show up even on the scene. Before we have Matthew chapter one and two, and before we have Luke chapter one and two, 700 years before that, we have the prophet Isaiah talking about uh, this Messiah that was gonna come and the impact that he was gonna have on the world. Now let's go ahead, I'm gonna read to you uh, and you can, it'll be on the screen behind me. This is the account in Luke chapter one of what happened with Mary when she found out and got the news that she had been chosen, that she had been invited into a very special part of this season. Starting in verse 26, and I'm reading from the Passion Translation. It says, during the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Elizabeth was actually a cousin of Mary. Uh, Elizabeth would be the mother of a guy that maybe you've heard of, his name is John the Baptist. Uh, which is you know, kind of a side note. It's kind of cool to see some of these things that are happening at, at not just a spiritual level, but a family level. Uh, if, you, if you read further into the Gospels when Jesus is in his ministry and John the Baptist is baptizing people, that's how he got that name. And, uh, and then there's the section where John the Baptist actually ends up being, being arrested and then at one, at one point beheaded. Yes, that, it, it escalated quickly for him. It says that Jesus was greatly moved. Well, Why? It wasn't just because it was a sad, it was a very sad moment, but because it was close family, very close family, first cousins. And so there's a family connection there. But anyway, uh, during the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God's presence to an unmarried girl named Mary, living in Nazareth, a village in Galilee. And she was engaged to a man named Joseph. Catch that, this is an important detail in understanding the context. She was not married, she was engaged to a man named Joseph, a true descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, grace to you, young woman, 
Young woman, for the Lord is with you, and so you are anointed with great favor. Mary was deeply troubled, troubled over the words of the angel and bewildered over what this may mean for her. And I, when I read that, I wonder if what was concerning to her was the fact that there was an angel that just appeared in front of her and she's trying to figure that out. How many of you would be slightly freaked out or creeped out if you're just chilling? Doesn't say what she was doing? Don't know. All of a sudden, boom, big giant archangel chilling in front of you, saying some stuff. I would be, I don't even know what you're saying to me right now. I'm a little freaked out that you're even here or what are you, what's going on? So just put yourself in that context of this not being normal because I don't think this was normal at all. Uh, let's see, but the angel reassured her saying, do not yield to your fear. Somebody needs to write that down. Do not yield to your fear, Mary, for the Lord has found delight in you and has chosen to surprise you with a wonderful gift. You will become pregnant with a baby boy and you are to name him Jesus and he will be supreme and will be known as the son of the highest and the Lord God will enthrone him as king on his ancestor David's throne. He will reign as a king of Israel forever and his reign will have no limits. And then Mary said, okay, okay, I hear what you're saying, but how could this be? I am still a virgin. And Gabriel answered, and my little insertion there would be, okay, good question, Mary. That's a good question. But the spirit of holiness will fall upon you and the almighty God will spread his shadow of power over you in a cloud of glory. Oh, simple enough, that makes sense. We're all good now. Um, and this is why the child born to you will be holy and he will be called the son of God. What's more, you're, you're aged on, back to Elizabeth. Elizabeth has become pregnant with a son, the barren one, poor thing, she had a nickname at this point in her life. The barren one is now in her sixth month. Not one, listen to this, not one promise from God is empty of power for nothing is impossible with God. Then Mary responded, now check this out. Still in the context of this being weird, her being a little bit freaked out, not sure what's happening. All of a sudden this angel is telling her that she's gonna give birth to Messiah, not something that she would necessarily wanna take an Instagram and post about. You don't want that kind of attention. Especially you gotta understand, this was not America. This was during this particular time, she was a Jew in Israel, uh, understanding the prophecies of the Old Testament and the expectation that the Messiah would eventually come with something everybody knew about, something everybody believed in in some way, shape, or form. And so it wasn't just some, some obscure reference. It was a big, big deal. And it says, Mary responded saying, this is amazing. I will be, check this out, I love how it words this, I will be a, a mother for the Lord. She wasn't taking ownership, I will be the mother. I am the mother of the Lord. She goes, I will be a mother for the Lord, showing like this attitude of, uh, of being a servant, showing this attitude of I've been picked to, to play a part, but the part that I am, what I'm a part of in this situation is bigger than the role that I play. She realized that what God was asking her to do wasn't really as much about her as it was about this baby that was going to be coming into the world. And then she goes, as his servant, she's speaking of the baby that she's gonna have. She's not speaking of the angel. She's not speaking of God the Father. She's speaking of the baby that she's gonna have. As his servant, I accept whatever he has for me. May everything you have told me come to pass. And the angel left her. I mean, this is huge. 
We, I don't know about you, but sometimes I read stuff in the Bible and I'm super guilty of just reading it because I want to, you know, I want to have some Bible reading done. So I read it, check that box. Okay, read my Bible, cool. And I put it off to the side. But sometimes if you just slow down and kind of allow your mind to get into the context of what is actually happening here, because again, we, we can't continue to look at the Bible as, as some compilation of great fairy tale stories, like it's the, the next Lord of the Rings series that's gonna come out and great stories by a fictitious situation. No, these are real people. This is real accounts. These are real things that happen. Mary's a real woman who's engaged to a real man who they, she's a real virgin and she is real pregnant. Things that normally in science don't go together. And so you got to even understand after the angel's like, oh, how's this going to happen? Okay, yeah, the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you. Blah, blah, blah. So yeah, that's how it's going to happen. And she's got, okay, whatever you just said, that's sure, that's going to happen. But here's the thing. I never thought of the fact that maybe she had a choice. And she did. You know how I know that Mary had a choice to be a part of this plan? Because God doesn't force himself on anybody. God doesn't force, it, it, sometimes I think that might be a better plan. God, just force everybody to believe in your God. Can't you like make everybody believe? Wouldn't that be so much easier? Like if you want everybody to be saved and you want everything to be great, you want everybody to be happy, why don't you just snap your God fingers and make everything magically like Disneyland happen? But the thing is, is that God doesn't want robots and God doesn't want slaves. God wants children, God wants friends. Mary had a choice in this situation. She could have said, this is crazy. I had bad hummus last night. This is a dream. Um, Middle Eastern reference. And uh, not gonna, okay, yeah, no, that, I'm not the right person for this. And so I do feel her response initially, whether out loud or in her mind, was, who, me? Maybe even more high-pitched. I don't know, who, me? Not me. There's got to be another Mary. So here's, here's another thing to make it even weirder. Because that's, that's what we need. <laughs> There's a great chance that a lot of theologians agree on the fact that she was probably 12 to 13 years old. So not only is the Messiah being brought into what society looking from the outside in would say, oh, you're a virgin that got pregnant. Sure, sure you are. So... The way that our culture operates in the 21st century in America is not the way that culture operated during this particular time in history. As a matter of fact, there was Old Testament law still in effect that in certain scenarios like this, somebody could be stoned to death for breaking Old Testament law and living in a certain level of sin. Joseph, if we were to go to a different account, had the, the, the lawful option if he found out that who the person he was engaged to not just was pregnant but had actually even had an immoral relationship with somebody else could easily break off the engagement publicly, shame her, and she would be done for life. And there's one section that even says that he had, he had contemplated, you know, because he was a good man. It says in the Bible he's a good man. If you're going to have somebody speak up for you, the Bible's a good source to say you're a good man. That's nice. But it says he was a good man, and he had even thought about, you know, secretly to the side, kind of breaking things off, and, and, uh, but he didn't want to shame her publicly. But, again, an angel appeared to him and spoke to him and changed his perspective. But Mary got invited into a new tradition she was invited to be a part of God's plan. And that's actually number one. If you're taking notes, number one, write this down. God invites us to be a part of his plan. Yes. Who, me? Yeah. Yes, you, 
Yes, me and you, Cody, and every single one of us. Because hum humanity, our human nature, wants to think about how we are not qualified to do the things that God would invite us to do. But the reality is, is that God has invited you, he has invited us to be a part of his plan. First Corinthians uh, chapter one, verse nine, uh, you can write down that reference, it says this in the New Living Translation, God will do this, not you, God will do this for he is faithful to do what he says. And he has invited you into partnership with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Mary was invited into the plan, she had a choice, and she chose to say yes. Check this out, God's plans uh, don't often seem realistic or even practical. If, and as a matter of fact, if, if what you feel like God's called you to do is something that you can do on your own, then there's a good chance that you haven't seen the whole picture. Because if you don't need God to do what God calls you to do, then you don't need God. You don't need faith, you don't need help. God doesn't call you to do what you can do. He calls you to do what you need him to do through you. Let that sink in. Again, if God's called you to do something that you don't need him to do, you've only seen a picture of it. The plans that God has for you are plans that the Bible describes basically as mind-blowing, impossible, infinitely beyond anything that you could ever ask or imagine. And so why would you think for one second that that you're not the one that God's speaking to, or you're not the one that God wants to use, or you're not the, well, it's because we try to disqualify ourselves. I mean, we live in a, we live in a world that is obsessed with disqualifying other people and ourselves. But we live in a world where there's people that are just haters. Haters are gonna hate. Haters are gonna tell you what you can't do. Haters are gonna tell you how somebody else is better than you are than this. Or they're gonna say how they're better than you are and how you shouldn't be where you are. I should be where you are because I'm more qualified than you are. Why are you there? That's our culture. And so we have to constantly battle against this culture of comparison because comparison is a destiny killer. Comparison is something that will rob what God has for you, not because you're not able and because God's not able, but because you've, you've chosen to put your eyes on what other people think instead of putting your eyes on the one who called you in the first place. Let's take it a step further. Your calling is a divine combination of what you have in your hand with God's supernatural provision, direction, and his favor. So write this down for number two. We're moving right along. Fear keeps us from accepting the invitation to be a part of God's plan. Do you hear that? Fear. Fear is what keeps us from accepting the invitation. You gotta know that Mary was freaked out on this situation. Doesn't say it, and you know, sometimes you gotta read in between the lines. Well, I don't wanna say what the Bible doesn't say. Me neither. But Mary was a real person. She wasn't like, oh, oh, hello, Gabriel, angel, archangel person. Hey, this is normal. This is normal, there's an angel right here. I'm talking to you and you're an angel. Yes, this is normal. No, Mary was creeped out by what was happening. Mary understood at least to a good degree the context of what was, was being asked of her. And her response was, you know, may whatever the Lord says be true. I'm, I'm gonna do whatever the Lord is asking me to do. And I wonder in this room today, how many of you are dealing with fear in your own life? I wonder how many of you, you know, yes, you know, the angel of the Lord is not gonna appear to you today and say that you're gonna bring the Messiah into the world. So pressure off everybody right now. It's not gonna be you. Um, you don't have to be like Joseph who also had a choice 
and he chose to accept the role of what the culture would look at as being like an, almost like an adopted father or even a stepdad type of situation. We don't, have to ha- we don't have to handle that when it comes to being the parents of the Messiah, but I wonder what it is that God is calling you to do, asking you to do, or even better yet, inviting you into that you're trying to disqualify yourself because you don't think you're good enough, or you don't think you have what it takes, or you've, you've already written, made the, the laundry list of, well, I've done this, and I've done this, and I did this, and I failed here, and I failed here, and I messed that up, and so yeah, there's no way that God could use me. I wonder if, if there's anybody in this room that would say, yeah, that's something that I'm dealing with. In the same way that comparison is a destiny killer, fear is a calling killer. And fear is abs- absolutely the, the only thing that our enemy has to throw at you, to get you off track from what God created you for. Because the enemy knows that if I can just make them be afraid of what they're created for, if I can just make them be afraid of this thing called life, if I can make them be afraid of even, you know, almost afraid of being afraid, if I can just trip them up in this area of fear, then I know I've got them distracted. Because very rarely does the enemy of God, which is Satan and the the principalities and the powers of darkness that, that do battle against the will of God and against what God's trying to do and against God's people, uh, but the enemy is, is someone who is existing in a pre-defeated state. Let me, let me unpack that a little bit. The devil uh, is not somebody who is still wondering if he can win the battle in the end. Because he already lost the battle when Jesus went to the cross. Not just when Jesus went to the cross, but he lost the battle when Jesus came back from the dead, realizing that not only is this guy gonna be the perfect sacrifice for all sins, which means that everybody can be saved and forgiven of their sins, but it means that I can't even scare people with death because Jesus just proved that death is not the end. So if I, can't, if, they, if I can't make people afraid of failure and afraid of their life, or even I can make them afraid of death, but now Jesus has conquered death, hell, and the grave, and so now people don't have anything to be afraid of if they can understand the perfect love of God. What do I have to do? I'm just gonna have to ramp up the game and just make people afraid. It's an illusion. Fear is an illusion because failure is an illusion. They're like, well, I don't know about that because I've had some pretty tangible failures in my life. Yeah, but are you still breathing? If you failed and you're still alive, then you're not done. If you've, had, if, you've, if you've had giant mistakes, giant, maybe some of you are like, eh, you don't even know. I don't have to. And don't come tell me afterwards. I don't need to know. That's not how this works. Take it to the Father. He, he's, he's, he, by the way, he already knows. Spoiler alert, okay. He still loves you anyway. Another spoiler alert. But fear and failure are illusions because really if you are here and you are breathing and you are alive, then there is no reason in the world why you can't become the man of God, the woman of God. And I love, this is my, this is my favorite row up here because this is, my, this, is my, this is my youth group in the making right here. This is Convo Youth right here in the making. This is what I'm talking about. And so hey, don't wait until you're 25, 21, 30 years old. Be like, okay, at that, that point I'll be able to do something great for God. No, it starts right now. If Mary was 12 years old when this was thrust on her life and God knew that she had what it take to handle, then don't say, well, you know, when I'm all grown, then I'll be able to do something great. No, don't wait because we're all wishing, man, if I had done this when I was their age, then I'd be in a different situation, which is probably very true. (laughs) 
If we had gotten our, our mind and our hearts wrapped around the call of God in our lives at a young age, right now Convo Kids is up down the hall and we've got team members up there that are not hiding behind boards, throwing animal crackers at kids, just trying to survive for the next few minutes. They are up there loving on kids. They're telling them that Jesus loves them. They're telling them that God has a plan for their life. They're telling them they can change and transform their elementary schools. And if there are people in this room that can say, I wish I had that when I was that age, the answer is yes, I wish we would have had that when we were that age too. But here's the deal, now we have a chance. And regardless of whether you screwed that up when you were a teenager or not, regardless of whether you had either parents or guardians or role models that, that were a good example or maybe that took advantage of you, what happened in the past can never be wasted when it's put in the hands of God. Because you can take your failures and you can take your sin and you can take everything that you've ever jacked up in your life. If you decide to take those things from your past and put them in the hands of God, just watch what he does with it. Because what the enemy meant to destroy you, God takes and he can make life out of it. And it's a game changer. It's an absolute game changer. Check this out. Uh, a couple of verses here uh, just from, uh, from the book of Psalms talking about uh, dealing with fear because you're like, okay, don't be afraid, don't fear. But doesn't, doesn't the Bible say something about fearing God? So like we're not supposed to fear, but you want us to fear God. Now check this out. When you understand who God really is, fear of God takes on a whole different picture. Because when you know who God is, you begin to know that God is love. God is not baseball bat wielding, ready to just smack you upside the head, can't wait to judge you, can't wait to throw you into hell. I can't, because I'm God and I'm better than you are. No, God is love. And so God actually cannot wait to unlock the, the plans that he has for you. He cannot wait for you to, to realize who he is as a God of love so that you can live fearless, so that you can live a life that says yes to the invitation of God. I'm not qualified, I don't have the education, I'm not big enough, I'm not small enough, I'm not this, I'm not that, I'm not, I don't have enough money, I don't have the right skin color, I didn't come from the right family. None of that matters when we understand who God is because all of our limitations are completely removed, destroyed and shattered when we take our hands or do we take our life and put them in the hands of God? So check this out. This is a little, little, little play on understanding that word fear. So Psalm 25, verse 12. I'm just gonna rattle a couple of these off to you. Psalm 25, verse 12, it says, uh, who are those who fear the Lord? He will show them the path that they should choose. Okay, so if I have fear for the Lord, that, that actually means that it's unlocking the path that God, that God has for my life. Psalm 25, 14, a few verses later, it says, the Lord is a friend to those who fear him. Okay, that does, like in my context, like if I'm afraid of something, it's not my friend. Well, that means that there's a paradigm shift here because fear is connected to understanding that God is a God of love and my fear of God isn't because I'm afraid of him, it's because I have this awe and respect of who God is. And because of that, I am his friend. Proverbs uh, uh, chapter one, verse three, it says, fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. One more for you, Proverbs uh, 14, verse 27, it says, fear of the Lord is a life-giving fountain. I'm telling you, there is no other fear in your life ever that will be life-giving. But it says that the fear of the Lord is a life-giving fountain. Fountain kind of paints that picture, just keeps going. You know, a fountain isn't a spit, just, just once. <laughs> fountain keeps going, keeps going, life-giving, just keeps going. Because when you have a fear of the Lord, it causes you to live a life that says, you know what? If God wanted to, he could squish me in an instant and get rid of me. And in all reality, I probably deserve it. And I understand that's who God is. He has the ability to say, yes, I'm in heaven. No, I'm not. 
But because I have an understanding of who God really is, I realize that that's not his desire. God's desire is to love me. He created me with purpose. God doesn't give your life purpose after you get saved. It just unlocks the purpose he created when you were born. Man, somebody, I hope somebody's getting this because I'm preaching way better than y'all are responding. It's okay to yell. It's okay. If somebody wants to get up and throw a chair, that's okay, just don't hit anybody. Okay, that's a bad idea. Don't get up and throw a chair, but you can stand up and you can wave at me. I'll be okay with that. Last one right here, number three. This is the last one. Faith allows us to embrace God's invitation and unlocks God's plan. Faith allows us to embrace God's invitation and unlocks God's plan. Listen to this. When we, when we love God, we will trust God. This is a great, it's a, it's a great thermometer, like spiritual you know, thermometer for yourself to gauge where, where am I at in my relationship with God? And again, I, I know, because every week I'm speaking to a group of people that some of y'all have been walking with the Lord for years and some of y'all are brand new to walking with Jesus and aren't sure. And then some of y'all, are, you're still not sure. You're still trying to figure this out. You're still coming around. And that's why this place is for every single one of you because we're all on a different part in our journey but we all have the same originator of our journey. We all have the same answer for our journey. And so that's why this is such a great place for everybody. When you love God, you will trust God. When you trust God, you will follow God. And when you follow God, it shows your faith in action. Walk it like you talk it. It's a couple weeks back if y'all were here. When you follow God, It shows your faith in action. Faith is the opposite of fear. Love is what fuels faith. Every single one has a fuel. You can't have a fire without fuel. So what what fuels fear? I thought of like 20 different things. I'm like, that's way too much. How can I boil this into like one thing? Really the thing that fuels fear is the absence of God. Like, well, I feel like God's absent in my life. All right, that's okay. Let me, let me share something with you. Because God's never going to force himself in your life, that means that at some point in time, you have to make a decision that I want God in my life. And the moment that you say, I want God in my life, you have just introduced faith into your world. And the more that you begin to add more faith to that fire, fire is gonna be love. And here's what it says in this last verse I wanna share with you. And I, and I really do believe this, is, this could be arguably maybe one of the most powerful verses in, in the New Testament. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, just a, just a short passage here. I want you to follow along with this. Write it down in your notes and look at this later too. It says, God is love. I can't stop right there. Like God is love. It doesn't say God loves. Um, God likes to love or love is something that God does. It says that God is love. That's that's an identity. It's not just something that God does. It's something that he is. It's, It's a part of who God is. So check this out. So if God is love, 
Uh, that means that he, he can't also be hatred. God can't love and hate. There is no hate in God. There's only love in God because the two would contradict and, and a God without love ceases to be God. It's a part of his identity. God is love. And check this out. Here's that, that all word again. I love, I love the free use of the word all throughout scripture because it lets me know that I get to be a part. And it hopefully lets you know that you get to be a part as well. God is love and all who live in love, again, God is love, live in God and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect because we're, we're, we're feeding the right fire, right? We're feeding the fire of faith. We're feeding the fire of faith. And the more that we feed the fire of faith, the more that flame's gonna grow until the flame, because what happens when fire spreads? Unfortunately, we saw kind of too much of a, a realistic picture of that, you know, in our recent history in California, the fires, but, but at the same time, it, it does paint a picture. When there's more fuel, fire can do what? It can spread. The more fuel there is, the more fire will spread. So what happens? <clears throat> Where am I? I got lost. Okay, here we are. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. Listen, the Bible does say that there will be a day where every single person will have to give an account of their life before God. We will be judged. See people, only God can judge me. That's true. But if I was you, I wouldn't wait until you stand before him to get that worked out. I would, I would wanna get that done soon so that I don't have to try to work that out then. But yes, we will stand before God in judgment one day, but this is what it's saying. Those who are in God's love have nothing to be afraid of. Yeah, but I did this. I, bet that I, got, I got a resume that you don't wanna know about. I know, that's okay, that's okay. Because here's the cool thing. When Jesus went to that cross, it started in the manger. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't stay in the manger? <laughs> I'm so glad that we don't, you know, we, don't have, we don't have a baby Jesus. He grew up, he had a purpose, there was a plan and he went to the cross. And so the Bible teaches us that the blood that Jesus shed on that cross with his hands pierced, with his feet pierced, with a spear in his side, with his back ripped up, his face beaten beyond recognition, with a crown of thorns beaten into his skull. Why? Because sin needs punishment and God didn't wanna put that on you. He said, I'll send my son. And as much as it's gonna suck and as much as it's gonna hurt to see my son in that position, I know that this is the plan that will free all of humanity. And so maybe I lose the son for a moment, obviously, BRB, Jesus came back. Sorry, younger people. Okay, I have younger kids. Okay, stop it, Craig. All right, focus. Jesus rose from the dead. The father knew he would get Jesus back. But everything that was shed and the blood that was lost on that cross is a sacrifice that is the greatest one that ever existed. So everything that is on your resume of evil, <laughs> It's completely covered. When you come to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I just wanna give you my life. I believe that you are the son of God. I believe that, that, that by putting my faith in you, my life is changed, I have salvation. My destiny for eternity is changed and now I also am a new creation, I have a new life. So that means that your rap sheet before Jesus is no longer the thing that defines who you are. You are now a brand new creation and that's all because God is love. Verse 18, such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. Do you have fear in your life this morning? Let Jesus in, let Jesus in. He's not gonna, he's not gonna kick the door open. 
He's done everything that he can to remove every obstacle that exists. The only thing that is left for you to do is to take that step of faith and say, it's time for me to let Jesus in. Thanks again for listening to the Convo Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, do us a favor. Subscribe to this podcast, rate and review us on iTunes, and share our podcast with your family, friends, and team members. If you live in the Reno area, come and be a part of Convo Church. Check us out on ConvoChurch.com and follow us on social media at Convo Church. We'll see you next time here on the Convo Church Podcast.